everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazar. And welcome to this week's exciting weekly recap. We're going to be covering a little bit of women's catsketball recruiting, a little bit of men's catsketball to the NBA, a little bit of NFL update, and then, of course, the Batcats. So let's just start from the very top. With the newest member of the K-State family, at least in terms of women's basketball, and that is the former four-star high school recruit and now Louisville transfer, Imani Lester, who is a 6'4 center. And first off, we're just stealing all of Louisville's team, basically. Like we're yeah. we're stealing all of their depth pieces, which I, I like that actually, because Louisville was a pretty solid team. Not just yeah, they last were, year, but consistently. They were like a three or four seed, I think, this year in the NCAA tournament. And they had one of the best point guards in the country who transferred to LSU, mm-hmm. um, which LSU is just like ransacking every good program for all their best players right now. And I really dislike seeing Kim Mulkey succeed at anything. So yeah. it's kind of a shame, but <laughs> it was bound to happen. Um, and, but yeah, Louisville's had a lot of transfers out, which has been kind of weird. Even stranger that we've gotten two of them. Um because um, Walker made sense because she's from Wichita. This one feels a little bit out of left field, but maybe uh, Zaina Walker put in a good word for us. Yeah, that, that definitely feels like what it, it could have been. But I really, really like this pickup. And the main reason why I'll, I'll let you kind of talk about her game more holistically. But the reason why I like her as a, as a transfer pickup is because we did lose Taylor Lauterbach to the portal. And Amani Lester is listed as a center. And we needed another depth center, basically, because last year, like this team wasn't bad, but you could tell that they're they were missing something. When your main person driving into the paint is Gabby Gregory, don't get me wrong, she's not terrible at it, but that should not be her game. Like that she should not be your primary scoring option in the paint. So we missed Ioka Lee. Now, Yoki's back, but she can't play all 40 minutes. Not at that. No, she can't play that at that size. So you just pick up a really solid depth center, Amani Lester, who has, I think, three years of eligibility left, two or three years of eligibility left, who can step in and obviously not be Ioka Lee, but it's not as drastic a drop off as, we see, as we've seen before. Yeah, I think she actually has four years of eligibility because she was a class of 2022 um but she just registered um this past year and so she has not played a minute of college basketball but she was really good in high school she was 57th um nationally um so there's at least some inherent talent there and she has a very diverse skill set as well um she isn't as powerful as Aoka Lee in the post although few are uh so not really a fair comparison there but she does have a, a lot of touch she's probably more agile in the post um than Aoka Lee is she moves a little quicker she's not as big as Aoka Lee so some of that's a given but she's still quite athletic all things considered um a solid ball handler not so much with her left hand but she at the very least uh, can bring the ball at the floor and can kind of move the ball in transition. Um, like she's not like a do not throw the ball at this person in the open court type of player. Like 
Like Ayoko Lee is that. Like she's just not gonna ever be like that person. But she also has pretty good perimeter game as well. She's a pretty good spot up three point shooter. Um, so adding that to the point where we could potentially have like five players in the court at the time that could theoretically take a three and make it at like a at least high twenties percentage. Um, that that's pretty enticing. Um, so she has that post agility and ability, um, but is also able to shoot the three fairly well, um, has a pretty good vertical leap, so she can rebound pretty well. Um, so I'm really interested to see what she can bring to the floor in, <clears throat> in that regard. Um, and I think she's a really good backup for this year. I'm going to be interested to see how she develops in that regard because she could end up being a really good post player for us uh, down the road. Yeah. I I think just the, the team that MIDI has constructed next year it is, we talked about it a lot. So not to, not to sort of beat that horse, it's going to be a really good team. And I've gone on record saying multiple times that if it was just purely based on talent, this K state team could make a run to a national title. I, I truly believe that if it was based off of purely talent. I I think that the floor talent-wise, like the worst a team this talented should do is probably Sweet 16. Yeah. I, I, I think a team with Gabby Gregory and Aoka Lee on it, as well as uh, Serena Sundell and the Glenn Twins, and throwing Eliza Mop in, like, and all this talent we brought in through the portal, as well as through the high school ranks and Terrence Sides, who who knows how much we'll even see her this year? Um, there there's a a lot of pure talent on this team. Uh, it remains to be seen um, how far they'll get, but they're good enough to actually make a run in the tournament. So we'll we'll see. You were you were about to say something. I think I think I may have interrupted you. No no no. That that's basically what I I was going to say. Um. The the I guess this is the best place to talk about it. They K State is saying goodbye to one of their coaches who uh, was Otzelberger. No, that's that's Iowa State's coach. Iowa State. No. Uh, uh, it's I'm Brian Osterman. Osterman, my bad. Yeah, he's uh, taking the job at Emporia, Emporia State, State. I think. Yeah, Emporia State head coach. So congratulations to him. Um, you know that's obviously a hole we have to fill, and I would really prefer we filled it with a strategist. <laughs> I, yeah, really, I'm right there with you. really bad. Yeah, because if there's one thing that this team has lacked at times, it's uh, creativity and uh, flexibility with strategy, um, both offensively and defensively. It's not like a one side of the, the ball sort of thing, but I think we find something that we really like in the offseason and we're just going to keep doing it until it works. Mm-hmm. And um the past couple years, especially when we haven't had a Yoko Lee, um, 90% of our game has been a uh, pass the ball around, try and get an open three or drive to the bucket and try and draw a foul. And it depends. Some, some games it works really great. Other games we lose by 40 because we're cold. So um, not really a sustainable strategy. I will say credit to the staff that we did make defensive adjustments down the stretch last year. I think it was too little too late, yeah. but we did at least kind of move away from zone after facing like Texas for like the fourth time in a row and realizing that they're way too good to run a zone against them. 
And so he switched to a man, sort of a soft zone, and it worked actually kind of decently. Um, it's just that we couldn't make a bucket in those games. So um, we have shown the ability to adjust kind of, but we I think we need to continue to be open to that as well. And also earlier in the year, but uh, that, that's kind of been the main issue. Yeah, I agree. So we'll, we'll sort of leave it for that again. Just look forward to the women's basketball episode and probably at this point, five, five months ish. <laughs> about actually is about right i think because uh, they'll start in early ish november so we're looking forward to that now uh talking about men's basketball and their nba chances uh Keontae johnson ended up getting a combine invite and marquise noel ended up getting a g league workout i think it was a workout or it was a skill show showing sort of thing i think there's a g league combine as well that I think he got invited to like, because I think that in the past there have been guys that go through the G league combine and they impress enough that they end up getting an NBA combine invite. So it is possible that he could get an NBA combine invite, but it is statistically unlikely. Cause I think last year only four people that went to the G league combine got an NBA combine invite. Um, so not, not like it won't happen, but it'll be difficult. Um, he, he's going to have to really show out. But if anybody can do it, it's him. So, yeah. yeah, that's pretty much all we have to say on on that front. <laughs> you know, it's a short, sweet little point there. But now we can talk a little bit about the NFL and updates from there. Uh, according to a tweet from Stall. Yeah. Um, oh, one more thing on combines. Um, Nick Juan Tomlin did not get a combine invite. I imagine that's because he's probably told teams after getting feedback that he's going to come back to college and don't waste an invite on him, perhaps. Um, so, and so Nick Juan Tomlin, he'll be back almost certainly. I think Jerome Tang's even said in a few interviews that they Expect like are looking forward to having him back. And like, so in all but name, he is returning to K-State. Um, Keontae Johnson, again, people are kind of pushing the tires on if he'll come back or not. The answer is still perhaps, but more likely no. Uh, but we will selfishly continue to cross our fingers and hope that he does. But if he does, what's, at the end of the day, he'll do what's best for him. And that might be staying in the NBA draft. Maybe it won't be, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, now on the NFL, uh, Ryan Fowler, who's a either a pro uh, football network or a draft uh, network analyst, uh, he announced that uh, Echo, Echo Boydo, Echo Island, uh, he was originally scheduled to go to a little rookie camp for the Washington Commanders. That's actually fell through because of how he impressed at the Kansas City Chiefs rookie camp. So now there is interest in the Chiefs in securing him in more a more traditional UDFA contract sort of role which UDFA contracts are typically three years. So we we sort of predicted that, but I I would really like to know what part of the workouts he impressed most in because, excuse me, you projected punt gunner. I agreed with you, but I also thought that he could get a little more work in at slot corner. I'm not sure if I ever vocalized that, but he's sort of like prototypical slot corner, at least for depth. 
Because Trent McDuffie is obviously going to play slot most of the time, unless they want to move him to a more traditional safety, which I doubt. But, you know, good for Echo working towards a, a more long-term deal after the, the rookie camp as well. Yeah. I, I was super happy to hear that. Again, we were not surprised by that at all, as were many K-State fans. Um, because, I, again, he's been slept on his entire football career. He was not, like, the year that he broke out in 2020, wasn't even on the two deep, and only played out of necessity and said, I will be good at football now, and <laughs> ended up doing really well against OU. Um, so then doesn't get drafted, but probably should have been um and then doesn't even get a udfa and that was what really surprised me i i was yeah. shocked that he didn't get a udfa but he's still getting what he deserves after minicamp um i am really really happy for um echo boydo because he deserves that he's been constantly slept on uh so hopefully he makes the full roster but i imagine we'll at least see him uh some in preseason so not only are you going to watch chiefs preseason for felix you're going to have to watch for echo as well uh, which is great. So the game remains interesting for longer. But yeah, there, there's also a, another familiar face who is at a Chiefs workout. I'm I'm not sure if a uh, rookie camp, mini camp uh, cuts have been made, but this wouldn't be a work. It wouldn't be a rookie mini camp for him. It would just be a camp workout, and that is old K State edge rusher Wyatt Hubert, who, if you remember, he was taken in the seventh round of the NFL draft two years ago by the Bengals and then medically retired because of concussions. And I guess he decided to unretire to give the NFL another shot, which if you want to talk about long shots of long shots, there it is. But, you know, he was, he's unretired. He's working out. Um, Haven't heard much past that, which uh, to be brutally honest, probably doesn't probably doesn't bode well for him. But he's there participating. I will say I have seen a couple of Chiefs reporters say some stuff about him. Some of it's just that he's a local guy. Um, but some of them, I saw one of them, They he was up at a podium doing uh, some press. And uh, they were asking him like what he's been doing. And he said like the last few months he's been doing like medical sales. <laughs> and was All like... Right. I kind of don't want to do this and I want to go play football, which I don't blame him. I'd rather play football than do medical sales as well. <laughs> so then he just decided to become an elite athlete again. And now he's working out for the chiefs. Hopefully he's able to grab a spot. Uh, Cause if nothing else, he is a really good um, motor slash speed rusher um, to the edge. Uh, Cause that was kind of always his greatest asset was his burst. Uh, I feel like at the line for at K State, which sometimes ran him out of plays, but also reunite with Felix maybe, and he can teach him how to also cut inside. I guess <laughs> yeah, there's more than one way to get to the quarterback, but we'll yeah, see. They're exact opposites in terms yeah. of rushers, which is really interesting. But yeah, so obviously you you wish the best for him. I think he'll probably spend a little bit of time on the practice squad before. For anything else, you know, just sort of getting up to speed. I I kind of view him more, he's not a scheme fit in KC, because I don't really view him as a particularly great, you know, hand-in-dirt pass rusher. I, I think he'd be much better standing up, and that's just not something the Chiefs do a whole, whole lot. Like Frank Clark made, maybe did it 
four or five times that I can remember this last year. But yeah. maybe they'll make an exception. Who knows? Because yeah, I, I do remember Wyatt did that some in his last year at K-State. I, I do remember defensively, that was kind of the year in between the end of the 4-2-5 and the beginning of the 3-3-5 where we went to that uh, um, standing edge on one side with Wyatt. And um, I think he dropped into coverage like maybe once or twice. So it's allegedly something he has at least attempted before. I might be misremembering, but I'm sure Wyatt will do whatever they ask of him if they offer him a roster spot. So but I, I'm I'm very happy for him. I'm glad to see that he's unretired because I was very sad when he retired for the first time because I, I felt like he had a lot of talent and had something to give in the NFL one way or another. But, man, I'm good for him. Regardless, I hope he's able to um, find a way to get a deal made out. I agree. So before we get into a touch of athletic department news and then the Batcats, Here is a quick word from our sponsor. And we are back. So just to talk a little bit about the athletics department news, there will be a small break in uh, renovations. Gene Taylor announced after, uh, after one thing, which is retrofitting the old football facilities into a track and field facility, which yeah, fine. But I, there, there are a lot of reasons why he would say that. <laughs> and not a lot of them we really want to slash can go into because, you know, paywalled information, stuff like that. But uh, let's just say that not only is there not much renovating to be done at this point, there isn't much they could do even if they wanted to. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just don't think it makes much fiscal sense to make the updates that they could do right now. Cause I think at this point, the main updates that you could do, I think the only, I'll put it like this, the only small ones you could do is like redoing relatively small, uh, would be like redoing the outside of the volleyball facility. So it doesn't look stupid. And then, uh, finishing like the first baseline, uh, at a uh, Toynton. So yeah, that way it's don't like because this goes like a bit more evened out because that was the original plan, but they ended up not doing it all the way. I don't remember why, but they did not do it all the way. But speakers um, in the student section, please. Literally, at, le- at least one, because like they're because in that they student had section, broken. yeah, in that student section slash GA section, like over down right field, down the first baseline, you simply cannot hear what Mitch Fortner is saying over the PA. Uh, if you wanted to hear a single word that comes out of his mouth, too bad. You, you don't get Shame. to. That, that, that's what you get for sitting in the uh, plebeian seats. So um, no no happiness for you, I guess. But I don't know. I it, It'd be nice if they worked it out. It's not super high on my list of priorities, but if they did it, I, I'd, I'd be happy with that. They may not, and I won't lose sleep over it. Yeah. The only other thing they could really do at this point is like a major Bramlage overhaul. And I think at least some of it would probably reduce capacity. And with how well attendance, uh, how well attended our games and conference play were, they may not want to do that unless they really want to drive up demand and just price 
regular people out, which that would kind of suck, but it could do that, I guess. Probably yeah, didn't. I'd rather they didn't either because I would like to continue to attend games. <laughs> uh, so I I hope they don't do that. But yeah, they're renovating the facility. If you go on the K-State's website, if you literally go to Google and look up K-State track facility, which I just did, um, like the second article is that they just announced a new project and they're putting in like new stuff on the interior, a new track. It's a banked track, um, a new entry, but it looks like they're keeping the outside the same. I hope they at least power wash it because it looks dirty even in the rendering. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I hope they at the very least like power wash it or maybe repaint or something like that because it, it's definitely seen better days. Um, but I don't know. I It makes sense because they're getting out of a Hearn Field house. So uh, they, they kind of have to do it, I think, because the university is going to do something with a Hearn. Sounds like they're not tearing it down, but something will be happening with a Hearn. And we have no idea. But yeah, uh, that's the track news. We've not really covered track very much this year. Um, because we did it exactly once last year and it, it was, was a, a disaster. disaster. Like you just read the results. I sat like in a little Papa John chair just laughing. Yeah, that that was one of the least enjoyable experiences I've ever had on the show. Oh, I had fun. Well, you liked it because there was nothing <laughs> at stake for you. Um oh I guess um this is actually useful information. Uh Big 12 Championships. Uh this weekend, May 12th, 13th, and 14th in Norman. So that's happening. If you really like track, it'll probably be on ESPN plus. I think it was last year. I did not watch it, but I think it was. Um, and then two weeks later, 10 days later, uh, as regionals. So that's the upcoming stuff for track. Yeah, and that's it. That's I, it. I, that's I, I refuse to go any further. So, <laughs> so now we can talk about the back cats. They had uh, just one series and it was up against SEMO. It was a three game sweep. We said it had to be a sweep. So thankfully they did it. Uh, it went two to one, 12 to five, and then a 10 to zero run rule in the seventh. The The first game, like all, you'll notice a theme that all of these games were really quick. The first game was only two hours. Second game was two hours, 44. So, you know, that's pretty, that's average. And then the last game was an hour and 56 minutes. Yeah. Granted, it was only seven innings. Um, yeah, but, still. But still, it, it was a quick one, um, but especially that Friday game, because it went the full nine. That game felt really fast because uh, nobody was hitting uh, nine hits combined uh, in the entire game. Only three runs combined. So and a lot of hits in early counts. Um, but like there there was not much going on. Simo only threw 99 pitches in this game <laughs> as a team. And uh, we only threw 118, and some of that is, of course, we had to pitch uh, one more inning than they did. But regardless, yeah, super oddly fast games on Friday and Sunday. Yeah, true. Uh, do you want to take batting stats or hitting stat, or batting stats or pitching stats? Um, I think I took pitching last week. I'll take pitching this week then. All right, you can go first with that, my friend. Splendid. Uh, so. 
Owen Borma had a very good outing, as did anybody who stepped on the mound um, on Friday. Uh, he went seven and a third, three hits, one run. It was earned, um, hit two batters, and had one walk and four strikeouts. So really, 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 really good start for Borma. He's six and one now. I think wins and losses are kind of a stupid stat, but yeah, it, it's a stat that exists. So I'll share it. Uh, the only run he gave up was a solo home run, um, based 27 batters and got 17 flyouts and ground outs out of it. Only one 88 pitches. Uh, so he was very, very effective. Uh, then Tyson neighbors came in and, uh, pitched an inning and two thirds, uh, one walk, four strikeouts, 30 pitches, took care of business. Uh, not much of a struggle. Um, once again, Tyson neighbors continuing to put together a all big 12, probably all American season. Mm-hmm. Um, he's listed as having nine saves by K state. I think the big 12 has him at 11. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to say 11 cause that sounds better. Um, <laughs> but Tyson neighbors continues to dominate that. Owen Borma Tyson neighbors, um, outing is very reminiscent of the late season dominance of Jordan Wicks and Eric Torres. I think we've said that before. Yeah, we've said um, that a few times. Two years ago. Not that they're not the same types of pitchers. Borma and uh Wicks are very different. Um neighbors and Torres are both very different as well. Um, but they do have similar levels of dominance for that Friday start where they're just gonna come out and you're relying on getting like six to seven out of Borma and just have neighbors go the rest of the way and take care of business. So it's nice to have that reliable start. Yep. It's, it's nice to have that reliable, you know, sort of, sort of one, two. And especially now that neighbors has started going a little bit more than just the ninth inning, if we need him to, which I, I don't think that was a question before this year, but you know, it's just nice to have it verified that your closer, if he absolutely needed to, could go, you know, two innings. So that's that's yeah. good to know. Yeah, he even went a three um, multiple times. Yeah. Um, went three and a third against Stonehill. Um, then he went three against Texas and went three at UC Irvine. So he, he's been getting longer and longer outings uh, at this point. He's got 35 and two thirds uh, so far this year. And he'll definitely end up with more. Yeah. In terms of hitting, it wasn't much of a day to write home about. Only six hits for K-State. They actually had more runners left on than hits. I'll leave that one there. <laughs> uh, Brendan Jones, one for three. Brady Day, two for two because he drew two walks. Brady Day knows the zone better than most umpires. Uh, Kojo drew a walk. And uh, Roberto Pena had himself... First off, Roberto Pena had himself a ridiculous series because it took until the third game for him to not get on base. He went three for three in this game with a home run. And, you know, Roberto Pena, you kind of expect like one for three, one for four kind of days. Nah, mm-mm. three for three with a double and uh, an RBI. He was the other run. So Roberto yeah. Pena was both of the runs. So yeah. we won because Roberto Pena existed. And the pitching was good. That's pretty much it. <laughs> that simple. Yeah. So Roberto Pena made up half of the the, the team's hits. So yeah, that not much to say in terms of offense. No errors for either side. So we move on to the second game. 
This one was started by Herman Fajardo. Two minutes, uh, two minutes and 44 seconds was the game time. Yeah, right. Two hours and 44 minutes was the game time. This one had, a you could argue, a little bit more offense. And it's not just because the score was 12 to 5. Yeah. Um, we saw three pitchers in this one instead of two. Um, Herman Fajardo, he goes six innings, gives up seven hits, five earned runs. Uh, one walk and four strikeouts, 82 pitches. Um, most of those runs came at the very end of his outing. Um, as I recall, uh, he gave up a uh, three-run homer um, in the last inning uh, that he pitched, which was, which was the sixth. So that came back to bite him, and all of his runs given up were off of homers um, with that. Um, wind coming out of the southwest at 11 miles an hour. It was a warm day, so the ball was carrying. Uh, that, that's for sure. So, Fajardo ends up with a not-so-pretty stat line, but as a start, it actually went pretty well. Um, Ty Rule um, had one of his best outings in quite a while. Two innings, three strikeouts, uh, faced, all, faced six batters, and did not allow any of them on base. So, Really, really solid outing for Rule. And then Kyler Haney came in and finished things up in the last inning. Uh, one inning, one hit, one walk, uh, do some ground outs. And that was it for um, Kyler Haney. A um, little stressful, I guess, but we also had a 12-5 lead at that point. So not the biggest deal in the world, but there was definitely a lot more offense uh, in this game. Although... Southeast Missouri took the uh, brunt of it, I think, especially when you look at uh, uh, their their pitching, because they went through seven pitchers in this game. Um, yeah. Suboptimal, I think. Yeah, just, just a touch suboptimal. Yeah. Yeah, in, in terms of the runs score or the, the offense, every single person in the starting lineup got a hit. So, but the the highlights of those include a one for four day from Brendan Jones. Like, oh, he went one for four. Oh, he only hit a grand slam. <laughs> that was only his one hit of the day. It's a grand slam to deep center. You know, I think he's gotten a reputation at this point for, you know, he'll be slumping, but if you need him in a big moment, he'll be there. Yeah, he he's made himself kind of the most clutch hitter on the uh, team at this point, other than maybe Pena. Yeah. Uh, which is weird because a guy Brendan Jones's uh, stature and uh, stereotyped like, role. Yeah. Like uh, he's the leadoff guy. Uh, he's supposed to go out there and steal bases. He's very fast, but he also has seven home runs this year. So he's got some pop as well. And he also, that grand slam also was a uh, opposite field. There were a lot of opposite field home runs uh, in this game. Yeah. But Dom Hughes goes one for three. KC, Kalen Culpepper goes two for four with two runs, two RBI, one strikeout. Uh, Brady Day gets a single stat in every single stat line. Uh, One run, one hit, one RBI, one walk, one strikeout, two left on base. Nick Goodwin, somewhat quiet, you know, one for four day. Uh, KC also hit a home run, I forgot to mention. And then Cash Rougely, he ends up going one for five, but getting an RBI to strike out. He's been getting colder recently, which it's probably why he slid down the lineup a little bit. Uh, Rafi, Rafael Pelletier, shout out for him being named to the Buster Posey Catcher Award watch list, probably because he claims so many victims on the base paths, but he always does it politely. Uh, Canada joke. 
He went one for three, one run, one RBI, two strikeouts. Uh, Kojo, one for four, one RBI, one strikeout. And then Roberto Pena, once again, uh, he just wasn't going to be retired. He ends up getting two hits, both of them home runs, uh, two RBI, four runs, and then walking. I, he It took until the third game for him to not reach base. Simo could not figure out Roberto Pena. No, they were having major issues with Pena. Uh, his slugging percentage must have been absolutely wide. His OPS must have been unbelievable for this specific weekend. Um, I'm not smart enough to calculate it, like even though it's allegedly simple. Um, it's on base plus slugging. So no, that, that's the thing is I can figure out the uh, slugging portion of it. Um, but I, I think it would. I remember he had a weekend where he went like 2.2 something. This is OPS. It would be larger than that. Yeah, the this I I figured it would be at least over two, which is a lot for those of you at home. So I don't know what Pena's putting in his Wheaties in the morning, but he has figured something out uh, recently, especially at Toynton. Uh, he's been especially good at home. Uh, I think the broadcast made some mention to it that he um, has been hitting unbelievably well uh, at home. And his uh, average is up to 267. He started the weekend below 240, I think. Um, so he 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 made some pretty quick work of the SEMO uh, uh, pitching staff. He's up to 15 home runs now uh, on the season. Uh, 605 is his slugging on the year. Uh, I know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's very oh. good. And. It would be a lot higher if his K rate wasn't so high. That's like his only downside, but that's just that's just kind of the price you're paying with like a power hitter like Pena. And yeah. I think at this point in the year, you just accept it and move on. Yeah. So that's the second game. Third game was a final in seven innings, a 10 to nothing victory for K-State. And I, man, I, the pitching in this one gave me a lot of hope, I will say. Yeah, I I think I fully agree with that because it's been a revolving door um, at that day three starter because uh, we started with Jackson Wentworth, then we moved to Colin Rothermel, and then this game we started with Mason Buss, and he went five innings, giving up two hits, three walks, and had three strikeouts as well. Uh, he had a really, really good outing. Uh, then Colin Rothermel relieved him after five and went two innings with two hits, Uh and two strikeouts. And he also nearly gave up a home run, but Cash usually saved it at the wall. Uh, and Kalen Culpepper also had some fantastic defensive plays in this game, especially, I think, particularly the game ending um, out where he fielded it on the run and made a throw as he was falling away that ended up being perfect. I, I truly think that he has an argument for best defensive catcher in the entire country third baseman yeah i, was about I, to say. I have a in my mind uh but um kaylin culpepper he is such an asset for this team at the hot corner and i don't think it's a coincidence that we started playing better once he got back uh into the lineup uh because I, I just think he's so vital um defensively uh, he he makes plays that most third basemen at case probably could not they, yeah. Most play, most third basemen in the country can't make those plays. It's because he's a natural shortstop, which he'll be playing there next year, which 
<laughs> I'm so happy he'll finally be playing shortstop. Uh, he, you could, I think last year he probably should have been for most of the year. Uh, this year, I think Nick Goodwin's honestly locked down the spot really well. He's been, he's, he's taken a massive step defensively. Nick Goodwin has, and we criticized him a fair bit last year, uh, and perhaps deservedly so because oh, no, no, there is was, no perhaps, there is no perhaps. Yeah, he deserved it. I'm being nice, but <laughs> he he was not great defensively last year, and he took a massive step defensively this year. So that left side of the infield at third base and shortstop has just been absolutely nails and throwing Brady day as well as someone that has really been super consistent and made very few bad plays all year at second base. That infield has been really, really good for us. And Pena's doing his fair share of good work as well. Uh, even though he's not a natural first baseman, we but don't have one of those on the roster. <laughs> we do not. But <laughs> So we, we just have a bunch of Scott Hatterbergs that we play at first base, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. yeah, but I played first base for a while and it was easy enough for me. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why they put me there because I didn't have to think too much about it. But <laughs> yeah, the, a lot to like um, with uh, the infield and the pitching staff, of course. Uh, if Mason Buss can be that day three guy and not even be elite, but just be consistent, like consistently be a guy that we can rely on to not like have a game explode in his face. Then if that's something that we can rely on from Mason bus, that's going to do us dividends uh, down the stretch. Cause we desperately need that day three starter to lock the position down. And if Rothermel is content being a day three relief guy, and if that suits him a little better, and that's great too, because we need a deeper bullpen. And if Rothermel, if Mason Bus is good enough that Rothermel gets relegated to the bullpen for that reason, that's awesome. Uh, but we're going to see a bit more from Mason Bus before I think we're comfortable saying that he is that guy, because this is just one weekend start. He's made some mid, some midweek starts and been okay, but we I think we want to see maybe a few more consistent outings from him before we make a declaration and hop on board the bus bus. Yeah. Oh no, I'm on board the bus bus always. <laughs> but in terms of offense, this was a pretty solid day. Uh 10 hits for 10 runs, only six left on, which is great. Uh Brendan Jones, one for three, two runs, one RBI. Uh that one RBI was a home run. There was four total home runs. Uh, Brendan Jones, Nick Goodwin, Cash Rugely, and Cole Johnson. Uh, you'll never guess who got hit by a pitch this game. No, I won't. It's Kalen Culpepper. <laughs> yeah, yet again. Um, I know that on the broadcast, Brian Smoller was saying that he thinks it's because his he already crowds the plate. And his stance, he naturally kind of leans inward with it. But that also, I think, would be an automatic strike if an umpire saw him leaning into a pitch to get hit. I don't know exactly what the rule is on that, but I don't know. Um, You and I have thoughts about why Caitlin Culpepper is the one that is getting hit by pitches the most. Because he has, I think, by far the most hit by pitches on the team in like half the games. Because he, mm-hmm. he missed a massive chunk of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have thoughts on that. And <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. But yep. we'll, we'll see. 
Yeah. Uh, Roberto Pena, he ends up getting two walks and unfortunately does not record a hit in his one AB. So he'll have to settle with only one AB that he didn't get on base in a three game weekend series. I think he'll live with that. Uh, Nick Goodwin ends up hitting, uh, getting two hits, two RBI. Uh, Brady Day corrects, collects the exceedingly rare 0 for 3, but does draw a walk. Uh, KC goes 2 for 3. Castro usually 2 for 4 with 2 RBI. Kojo uh, 2 for 2 with a walk and 2 RBI. Uh, Kyan Lotus ends up pinch hitting for him and then Lawson Knight, who, uh, you know, it, we haven't seen him other than in like rare situations where he's just basically a warm body. He hasn't gotten the ball hit to him yet. I I have a weirdly good feeling about Lawson Knight, and I can't explain why. Um, then Carson Quack, he was the DH this game. Finally got to see him have a break out of his show a little bit. Went one for two with one RBI and also scored a run on a passed ball. Uh, Rafi, Rafael Pelletier ends up going 0 for 3 before Jaden Lobliner comes in as a defensive substitution. Probably because the game was well in hand, you want to get your your freshman catcher that the in game experience. Even it, I think Pellets here, he might be done after this year. No, he's not. He's very much not done after this year. He has two more years. So, <laughs> yeah, I I think people, including me, uh, forget very often that Rafael Pelletier, um is not an old guy. He. I think it's because he plays like a veteran and he's just so good that people don't realize he's only a redshirt sophomore and he brings a lot to the table. Um, He showcased some very close to home run power uh, this weekend. I think he had like two, at least two or three at bats that were near home runs, but he just wasn't quite able to go the distance. Um, But yeah. And also with putting in lob liner, um, they, it's also huge for Pelletier to get as much rest as he possibly can, um, because he will be the everyday catcher once we hit postseason. So we, we need to make sure he's as fresh as he can possibly be, but I, I'm still super high on him. I'm very, very happy that we'll have him for a little longer, at least unless he gets drafted, but we'll see. Yeah. So that's the, the SEMO sweep series. Now the next series is down in Stillwater against a the it's Oklahoma State. They're always going to be at least good at baseball. We've said multiple times that you need to pick up at least one game in Stillwater. I I am not I I think there's a near 0% chance of a sweep. I think there's a 10 to 15% chance of picking up two games, but you absolutely need to pick up at least one down in Stillwater. Have they announced, uh, let me check real fast if they've announced the starters, because obviously you have, uh, yeah, Borma and Fajardo, they're going to. I did end. check earlier, and they have not announced day three Sunday. yet. They haven't announced Sunday. Hmm. Neither side has. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I will say um, that the um, RPI website that we use, um, they have predictive results, but they've been all over the place as of late. So I have no idea what to make of them. Like at one point they had a sweeping TCU and uh, getting swept by Oklahoma state, but now they only have us getting one game against TCU, but also taking game one against Oklahoma state. And I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, yeah, Oklahoma state uh, 22nd in RPI um, as of now. 
They are a very, very good team. Um, uh, especially unfortunate to draw them on the road, but it is a great opportunity um, to pick up a win. Um, they're 19th in RPI plus, so that'd be a massive win for our resume. I really, I'll, I'll put it like this. I think if we sweep Oklahoma State by whatever chance there is, which is near zero, um, but if we were to do that, I think that we're pretty much a lock. Um, I, I think just avoiding getting swept and then taking the series against TCU that puts us at a borderline lock, but not quite. And I think that's probably the most likely scenario. Um, but it's going to be a tense final two weeks of this season uh, for the Batcats. Yeah. It's also worth noting that uh, according to college baseball, uh, like the poll that they do, collegiate baseball, K-State is number 15 and Oklahoma State is number 13 in the country. So this is a by college collegiate baseball's measurements, a top 15 matchup. And I find that that's kind of better than whatever the equivalence. It may be the AP, but whatever the equivalency is for NCAA rankings, I find that's more reliable somewhat. And I'm not just saying that because K-State's highly ranked in them. But I, you need to pick up at least one game down in Stillwater in order to I know we keep saying it's like, oh, you need to win this game. You need to sweep this. We keep saying it because it's true. <laughs> like We're not just saying it because, you know, it, it. it's like we're not saying this because we're coaches on the team or anything. But we're saying it because we genuinely believe that it is necessary to win these games to keep postseason hopes alive. Because right now uh, we're a projected three seed in the Nashville regional. There, there are four seeds per region. So, like, that's. That's not comfortable, but like you, you can afford a little bit of slippage. You have to have slips against good teams, though. And we're not listed, I think, in some uh, baseball bracketology, whatever they want to call it, projections. Uh, we're not listed as first five in or last five out. Or la- last five in, first five out, I should say. But, you know, it, it, it's not comfortable when you have to face two, arguably two of the best schools in the big 12 to determine your postseason hopes, that's not comfortable. It's not a great position to be in. That being Um, said, I think that the best school in the big 12, which God help me when I say this, uh, well, actually you could make an argument that Texas and West Virginia are kind of tied for that first spot, but we had it against Texas and choked it away. And we could have had one of the game. We could have had one more game against West Virginia. So we're not unfamiliar with the Big Twelve and its competition. You just have to go out there and execute. And we almost beat Texas on the road in that first game before choking it away. We can't afford doing that. Not again. Yeah, and we really just need to go five hundred these next two weeks. I I think you go five hundred and you're fine. Um, I think that's the floor if you're gonna win only two games i don't know which ones would be the best ones maybe both at oklahoma state um but you also don't want to drop home games uh so that's also tough but it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult um it's a a difficult two weekend stretch positive um no more midweek games, so we get to focus exclusively on those weekend series, make the most of them. Um, scheduling really worked out well uh, in that regard. Um, so and it, it's going to be huge. 
Um, but also, I really wish I could go uh, to this Oklahoma State series because they have a really, really good ballpark uh, down in Stillwater. They just opened it like two or three years ago, and it was like 70 million bucks. So I, I, I've I, seen some pictures of it and seen a video of a tour of it. Um, it it's really a good ballpark. So I'd like to get down there at some point. But yeah, huge weekend for the Batcats. Um, against Oklahoma State, if they yeah. can take, if they can somehow find a way to take two, I will be a happy camper. Oh yeah, I will as well. But yeah, that pretty much ends the news segments. Now we get into the wacky segments of the week, starting with the news segment, and that is if you if you didn't know, the entry sign to Aggieville once said Aggieville Welcome to. We complained about it because it looked like public pool font. Don't don't worry. We're still going to complain about the public pool font. But the second part of that, which was the Aggieville welcome to, because it was below the actual Aggieville sign, it is gone forever and we will never see it again. Yeah, um, which is great. Um, it's been a weird saga with that because I remember walking around the Ville um, when they first put that up. Um, but it, like nobody had really seen it yet because the street wasn't really open. So no one was going down there. But I remember I saw it when I was up in Manhattan for a weekend and I was like, that looks kind of weird. And, but our, our main gripe at the time, I feel like was the font. Uh, and I still don't like the font. Uh, I think it sucks. Granted, at least it is purple at night. Uh, I imagine that's why it looks the way it does because the light has to shine through. Still wouldn't be my choice of font to fast again. Um, but you were asked the first time, man. Yeah. I, <laughs> if I were asked at all, I would have picked something different, but that's just me. Um, and I'd probably also get rid of the metal bar where the welcome to was because yeah. it's kind of, Oh, they're keeping important. the bar. It's at least there right now. I don't know if it'll be there forever, but they, they may take it down. They may not. But I really prefer they did. I'd like them to take it down as well. But I don't know. As far as renovations go, it looks pretty nice, honestly, other than uh that mishap with the sign. Uh as good as it as you can do, I guess, with redoing a street. It's not super interesting, but at least to most people. But it's uh <laughs> it's ended up looking pretty good. Um, I'm glad that they fixed the sign. Uh so that way we can kind of leave it in the past because <laughs> Of, of all the things to complain about, even though it did look bad, it is definitely one of the things to complain about of all time. Yeah. Um, so, but glad that we've moved past that era now. Manhattan is growing up as a community together, working through this tragedy as it can grief um, in private. But yeah, really, really weird situation with that. Although the city's definitely leaning into the humor of it right now. They just put out a tweet with a, uh, um, it was a joke about the welcome to sign entering the transfer portal. Uh, I, I thought it was actually well done. Yeah, that's I, very I thought funny. it was actually funny. Um, very rare because normally humor from the government just does not work. <laughs> but it was a uh, um actual rare moment of humor. I thought it was funny. I'll give them credit where credits due. Um, but fair play, I guess, on that. Yeah. So now the, the actual wacky segment of the week, which is the question, uh, if you could invert the primary and secondary colors of any school in the country, who would you pick? I 
we, you and I were talking about this before mm-hmm. um, the episode, and there's a lot of really good options. There's also some really, really terrible really bad options. Um, and there's some that you just can't do it with, like K State, because uh, like we we discussed that K State just has purple. Like you can't switch purple and two and purple. And purple. Like that, that's just not something you can do because it's just it's the same. Um, but I I thought about it a little bit. I'm gonna roll at least for now uh, with Virginia Tech. I'm gonna do the uh, switch from kind of maroon and orange to orange and maroon. But I am open to suggestions on this because uh, I think there's a lot of schools you could do that with, like schools that have actual secondary colors that isn't just like white or something like that because then you're just switching to away uniforms like that's not really anything actual so um but that's my take but what is your school that you're going with i i kind of wrestled with this because i didn't want it to be i didn't want it to be the i didn't want it to just be like a red and black school i wanted it to be a unique color combination so i didn't want it to be a, a red and black school because Every red and black school on God's green earth has a black and red alternate. They just do. Uh, or sometimes it's their main uniform. <laughs> yeah. But so that, that kind of limited the options. I didn't want to go with any combination of white uh, before any Oklahoma fans who are for some reason listening to this. Come at me. It, it, Welcome, cream is white. I Welcome, I guess. Don't be like the Iowa State fans that listened to the episode that one time. Um, um, broke the downloads record, though. It <laughs> still has we, we need to aggravate that fan base again so we can make some additional ad rev. <laughs> I am totally fine with exploiting Iowa State fans for money. <laughs> but ultimately, what I ended up going with was I ended up going with USC because I think gold and red would be a really, really good combination as opposed to the the red and gold they have right now. It it basically came down to, to three schools for me, and all of them have gold in some way. It came down to Notre Dame, South Florida, and USC. So we have USC, USF, and then Notre Dame. But so I was picking between gold and red, gold and navy, and then gold and green. Gold and green, I think, would be interesting, but I think gold and red is less experimental and probably ends up looking better. Yeah, they could do the gold and green in Colorado State as well. True. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I think the the red and gold, it's, it's the one unique combination that you could have specifically for USC. But do you have any, you have any final thoughts, Connor? Um, UCLA, another gold school. Could swap yeah. those. Yeah, blue and Washington, uh, Washington I guess. Yeah. That's the good gold and purple from purple and gold. Mm-hmm. Um, but we could do this for a while, so I'll leave it there. I yeah. guess unless you have any more. Um, none that immediately spring to oh wait, we had one we had the honorable mention for terrible, which was Clemson. Instead of oh, orange yeah. and purple, it's purple and orange. Uh, they have alternates that are like that, and they're gross. Yeah, I just don't love the shade of purple that they use with that shade of orange. I feel like those colors really clash. Yeah. And they don't look great, at least to me. I think that Clemson really likes them because I think they might be like a retro 
kind of, or like a throwback of some sort. That doesn't justify it enough for me, but I guess like we look at it the same way that other fan bases kind of look at the two tone, which it doesn't make sense to them, but we love it because it's our thing. Um, so, but Clemson doesn't need me to be fair to them. They, they, they've, they've been successful enough. They don't deserve any sympathy, so they can, they can definitely do better than what they've got. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Bounces or capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tank Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.